0: May the force be with you is a phrase used to wish a person well to overcome a challenge. The invitation in this podcast, May the Life Force Be With You, is to explore what it means to truly feel alive, to appreciate the physical, emotional and spiritual connection to our energy and finally to understand how this impacts who you are and all that you do. May this conversation inspire you to thrive. This episode of May the Life Force Be With You is brought to you by Moment Company and the Moment Pebble. The Moment Pebble is a beautiful, natural stone, light guided breathing device, and is a unique gift for someone who needs that gentle reminder to stop and take a break, to take moments throughout their busy day, and to practice mindfulness. Just head over to momentcompany.co. That's momentcompany.co and enter the code LIFEFORCE at checkout to receive an exclusive 10% podcast discount. Hi, sorry, I just had a message flash up on my screen telling me something wasn't accessible on my laptop and I thought, here we go again. Because today we are bringing back Elaine to talk to us, where last time it's fair to say we had some technical challenges. And then today... Part two, we've had an amazing array of technical challenges here. Um, and what is it, Karila, your guides say? So my
1: guides have this thing where they're like, the bigger the resistance, the more transformation. Like when there's resistance, it's like they're like, it's the arrow going back because you, there's about to be like accelerated transformation. And technical issues are a form of resistance. And so
0: I'm so excited about the transformation of part two. <laughs> At least we're going to have some pretty profound conversation this afternoon is what you're telling us, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, like part one wasn't profound,
1: you know. It was amazingly profound. Um, I just want to introduce Elaine. So if if you're listening to part two, Without listening to part one, Elaine is an energy and body worker working in the realms of sexuality, breathwork, shamanism, energy, pleasure, spirituality, and soul. As I said in part one, she has taught all over the world, held space all over the world. And, you know, I meet people all the time who have been held by her and all of them have so much reverence and respect. As I said, she's like the most respected space holder that I know. And so... I knew the conversation was going to be powerful. I knew it was going to be profound. I knew it was going to be deep. I knew it was going to be activating, and that is exactly what <laughs> what it was. And actually, I would like us to start with kind of what what happened because, you know, we were talking about shame. We were talking about um. Uh, what's ha- what happens in your energy and then and then suddenly and we we're talking about power and then suddenly there were these situations there was this technical situation that that kind of almost activated all of that in a way so fiona
0: <laughs> well well yeah the minute you said you know um solar plexus being like the root of all of the shit i put my hand up to say that is me that is my challenge and then that was it i lost my voice after that <laughs> <laughs> which then made me feel extremely vulnerable. I was really triggered because I couldn't, I felt I was watching on the outside of the conversation. And it, I had this whole thing about not having a voice, which then I think reactivated everything that we'd been talking about. It was, it was quite a strange experience. And I, was, I was
2: trying to kind of like include you by looking at you every now and again and looking at your lips moving, but also, Like knowing, okay, we're carrying on with this conversation in some way. Then when you started translating, it reminded me of being in places in the world, you know, where you can't speak the language and you have to like ask someone else or you have to get your phone and do Google Translate. It was this kind of circuit going around. Um, And I've had, you know, uh, now and again, small things, but not really any issues with my internet. And so it was very bizarre. That it kind of, and then today, you know, there's another 20 minutes of technical <laughs> resistance to get here. So, yeah. Thank
0: you for your resilience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, you what brings us, Elaine?
1: I mean, like, this level of resistance, it's like, what, what wisdom? Because, <laughs> you know, when I say it was activating, like, the conversation, there were so many things you said. But the thing for me that just, y- you said, safety is a form of pleasure and suddenly my whole trauma body went what (laughs) like what (laughs) you know this thing that has been something that I haven't maybe had very much of when I was younger like it was it was so huge and it 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 led to to such a profound few days of re-examining what safety means for me like I would I would say it was like a pivotal activation in my life that one sentence and so the resistance is understandable in because yeah i mean and safety is such a
2: kind of judged word at times a misunderstood word at times um we have this idea and you'll know of being in the world of transformation where, you know, people are sometimes like, oh, they're so safe and full of fear, you know, or they're so reckless and so courageous. You know, there's there can be this judgment around safety. And in fact, in life, people probably equate it to boring at mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. Um, when, in fact, if we don't have safety in the body. It's very hard to fully experience anything else, and, and definitely pleasure. So the A level model that I work with, pleasure safety, is the first thing we do. And you know, out of a group of forty odd people, at least a half, if not more, three quarters, they realise in that moment that that is a fundamental issue. That actually they don't feel safe in their body, or maybe only under certain circumstances at certain times, but there's no way to access. That And we spoke a lot about codependency and externalization of pleasure. And so then this comes in there where people are looking around for someone else to make them feel safe.
0: Mm-hmm. And of
2: course, no one can ever do that for us if on the inside we, we don't have that in us. So, And it's understandable that we don't have that in us because often we had experiences when we were young that were imprints of not safety. Um, And maybe those were just mild things and mild moments, or maybe those were huge, um, you know, significant life events. So we have this idea that if we're not, if there's not an imminent danger of a tiger in the room, we should feel safe and we can judge ourselves for not feeling safe. And we can pretend to others that we are because there's a lot of shame around I should feel safe because I'm a grown adult and there's no real danger, but, but I don't. And this, again, comes down to programming of the nervous system and our capacity to, um, to be in recovery. And, and the fact that most people are working almost, you know, half the time, if not more than half the time on a survival level of adrenaline activation without even realizing it. It's become so normal to be in a bit
1: of a state of hypervigilance. Fiona, um, can i ask because obviously yeah. to me the solar plexus is connected to safety why did you put your hand up in 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 episode one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when we talked about power and the solar plexus and 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 the safety what made you do that that then took away your voice uh
0: so two two reasons um Well, actually, two, two circumstances that are connected that led me to do that. The first was, um, part, during my ayahuasca journey, I did a, um, a massage session with an amazing massage therapists and and he was like it's just solar plexus everything is blocked here and he was almost like pulling all the bad relationships all the bad kind of thoughts that I'd had around myself and around I guess who I was in each of those kind of circumstances and oh my gosh it was so painful for about four or five days after I couldn't even touch that area it was so activated and then just recently like a week or so ago, I had a kinesiology session, and again, it was all in my solar plexus. That was the blockage. That was where I was storing it all in the body, and that's where. Um, when you said that was like the real sort of activation point, I'm like, yes, it is. Everything I do goes back to to that area, um, and I, I I can literally feel it. It's like I'm I'm carrying a ball around <laughs> of all the kind of mixed up emotions and past thoughts and beliefs that I've been holding on to. And that is the area that I kind of, it gets triggered. Would you say that? Because I often associate safety with the root, but like as
1: Fiona's is speaking, I'm like, ah, oh, maybe mm. it's also in the solar plexus. Mm. It's my, my kind of
2: uh, lens. And of course you can look at things through any lens depending on the experience, but my kind of lens is, the solar plexus is tender and often unstable because that's where we've been and hit by experiences which hits our power so as as experiences come to us and they hit our power we we take it here but there's a very strong link between the the solar plexus and the root and the base so if i'm working with someone around safety you know the first thing we go to is generally the base chakra and the connection to the earth and security it's also money abundance many things there but there seems to be this relationship where it's almost like when the the, the wounding comes to the solar plexus it almost like contracts the base up and unstabilizes the base so it's so to to bring that back into balance it's usually a, a combination of both both bringing the root back down and and re it and then looking at where is the, you know, where is this sense of personal power? What do I need to do to recover from that assault? Whatever that was, verbal, emotional, um, you know, uh, challenging circumstance in life.
0: I feel like a, a lot of it as well for me was connected to, to to one of the things. And it, I think I talked about it when we talked about the ayahuasca was that I was there to kind of understand or ask the question like, who am I? Mm. <laughs> Literally, I'm, I'm kind of like metamorphosizing out of a old world corporate worlds. I'm still kind of in it but I know that I'm on a different path and I'm just not quite sure of the footing of that and so there's all these different beliefs that are swirling around and I think there's something connected there around that you know we talk about our core core beliefs and everything is kind of in that area as well and when you're I guess challenging some old thought beliefs that have kept you safe Mm -hmm. might not have been serving you but they've made you feel safe it's uncomfortable to kind of break out of that and try and do something different and I think that's why everything's kind of knotted up there right now because I'm I'm keeping hold of some of the old stuff because that's familiar but actually I'm deeply curious and want to keep traveling in another direction and the two are kind of pushing and pulling against each other it's it's
1: a totally in in, I love what you say about core belief Um, because I've just been doing a load of channeling about the root chakra and this is like channelled view of the root chakra, which in Sanskrit is called Muladhara. But the you know, what the guides say is that like the south pole of the root chakra is where your your it's where your trust is formed. So the very bottom of the root chakra is where you have your ability to have trust. And then the north pole of the root chakra is where your faith is formed, uh, which is like the – and these are formed basically from the mother and the father. So the trust is the mother and the the um, faith is the father. And then when they overlap it's, – it's why that's relevant to me, the life force be with you is when the trust is um, – open it's magnetic and when the faith is is on it's electric it's light so mud mul <laughs> light la and then actually what my god say is the root can produce life force energy it can produce prana when those two are fully balanced and the so the beliefs that we have are at our core have life force energy running through them because the root can produce them. Does that make sense? I um, think so. Yeah. And so, what your what your core beliefs are, then they they shape. It's like. A belief is something you're alive with, essentially, you know? Well,
0: it gives you purpose. It gives yeah. you direction. Yeah. It gives you a sense of self. It gives you, you know, I say in my world, when I'm corporate mindfulness worlds, we, we say that it, it guides you to what you do, who you hang out with, where you work, what you like, what you eat, you know, it's all driven by um, beliefs, values, experience. And it could be from how you grew up, where you grew up, what your parents did, what your grandparents did, all have an influence on how then you, um, the things that you surround yourself and then that then forms your belief patterns, then form how you actually interact with the world. So that's how I would kind of translate that in in what I do and how we look at how belief patterns kind of work and then they impact your your belief patterns, then impact your thoughts and feelings which then impact your behavior and actions, which then reinforce your beliefs, and on round the merry go round we go.
2: When you said feeling about the, the, you know, who am I? What came to me was, you know, this, this. For me, in my experience and my sense when I'm working with other people, when I'm feeling this, all the solar plexus is really this place of and um, personal will, personal power, and there's like an anchoredness. And it's interesting that it sits between the emotions, which can be trauma and the heart, you know. And so there's mm-hmm. a connection can get very affected by instability underneath or instability above. But when you said, who am I? It, it was so um, interesting that for me, in, in terms of, you know, and everyone has different views on the chakra system. But for me, the who, who am I is throat. And then you lost your voice. <laughs> Yeah. So So these two for me are very connected. My throat is, yeah. And so it's like this thing of here, like, and who am I? And then the the piece that actually is the thing of the expression of who I am kind of went. But you reminded me of an experience I had many years ago, one of the first sessions when I was in my life transitioning from being, you know, 20 years working in clinical practice to, um, changing my entire life and everyone told me I was crazy. I was having a midlife crisis, you know, that I was in grief. And and I, I, this was early on when I first learned the process of like aspecting, which is kind of like a gestalt process where some people call it the third chair. But, you know, when you have an aspect of you out on the pillow and you do a dialogue and you move between, mm-hmm. it's very powerful. And the way that I've always done it, we combine it with, emotional movement of the body which i feel makes
1: it much much better can you just explain that for anybody that doesn't that is going what do you mean an aspect of view on yeah. <laughs> so, essentially there's a process
2: for dealing with conflict or confusion within yourself or within yourself and someone else that um sometimes is called voice dialogue sometimes it's called aspecting it relates to a gestalt pr- process in, in the psychology world. Sometimes people call it the third chair mm-hmm. where you have someone. In terms of the, the shamanic way of working with this is actually to combine it with actually intending to channel in this, this other aspect um, um, or call in this other person or this thing mm-hmm. in your life. And you 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 sit on one side as yourself and you speak and share, and then you move to the other side. You receive the words of the other person or the part of you. You process that and then you respond. And this can be a real way to look at confusion, conflict. I see it when I do it as beyond the mental teasing out of my own mind. I actually believe that I call the other being in, and often what I hear them say. Is not what I expect them to say, and mm-hmm. that for me gives it a chance of being like very authentic, um, because I'm surprised rather than my story of how I think this conversation is going to go. Um, so it's a process that I've used for years in my personal life to examine parts of myself, and you I said
1: say, it all at the time of transition. So yeah, as you were moving out of this very scientific mainstream background into what is a very, you know, my I allowed to say, esoteric way of working? <laughs> I don't mind what you... Call it. <laughs> energy, space building. yeah, yeah. The, the work that you're doing, temple work. Um, yeah, and-
2: I, I was put into this position to have this process, okay? So, okay. I'm, so I'm doing this process and... <laughs> I am aspecting with the part of me that does not want to make that change, and the part of me that wants to and believes I need to make this change. So I'm in this moment in my life where part of me is going, You have, you know, a good professional reputation, you have a great income, you have business practice. What are you doing? You know, you're, like, you're destroying your life. And as I stepped in to become the other part of me, like this, the the what I perceived then to be part of my ego that did not want me to let go of these things i the ego stood over myself me the cushion <laughs> <laughs> and and what came down and grabbed me the cushion in my solar plexus and like held me like this <sighs> and was like you need me you can't let this go and it was like this incredible moment i feel, I feel
0: that there i feel oh. it in my throat when you say like that <laughs> it makes me in my throat. Just my because throat. this is a podcast, like, Elaine's, like, <laughs> twisting. It's like a corkscrew on the
1: pile. Like, we have a cushion. <laughs> like, a game like this. Like, like, <sharp> lab. <inhale> <grab>, you know? <laughs> No <one's> sound <laughs> effects. Kath needs to edit in a sound effect of, like, <laughs> and,
2: and in that moment, the, the witness in me kind of managed to zoom out and, and and look at these two parts of myself and see this part of myself that was, like, trying to control and was in fear and was trying to like over dominate the part of me that was deciding, Hey, I need to break free and change my life. Mm -hmm. Um. So when you, when you said Mm -hmm. this about the solar plexus and being in this part of your life, I just let this image Mm -hmm. came to me, but it really helped me to understand and have less fear, have Mm -hmm. a little more compassion, give a voice to that part of me. And that's where aspecting, or processes like that can be useful because you can listen and say, hey, what do you need? You know, rather than just, I'm doing it. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, to that part of me that was trying to protect me from making what could have been a big mistake, and everyone was telling me what was a big mistake, <laughs> um, was actually becoming quite violent and dominating towards the other part of me. And... Um, in order to try and, and keep me safe um, on some level.
0: Uh, yeah, well, I, I can feel that. And when you say it, it, come, it comes back to me about that safety and what I've realised in my processing of all of that, I was looking for safety in the wrong places. And mm. actually my voice now is a lot more vulnerable. Um, I'm more able to say, not always in these exact words, but I don't feel safe or that has triggered me or this is not something that I'm comfortable with and all of those things. The more I say that, the more I don't feel that I've lost something. I actually feel like I'm growing and gaining something by doing that because I've got better because another word for safety, perhaps, which I know gets overused a lot, but it, but it is boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I think that resetting of that boundaries and being able to say, no, that doesn't feel good or no, that doesn't feel safe has actually helped me grow into that more. Um, and I feel that the safety comes from me now. And I was looking for it through validation or as you said, other people or other situations, mm-hmm. but actually I've realized now the only person that can make me feel like that is me.
2: Yeah. And, and, and it's true that, you know, sometimes you know, even we can't keep ourselves safe. Sometimes there is real danger, you know. That's the thing. We don't want to go to the extreme of being in denial. But but most of the time in these situations actually the threat is not real. Um or the threat is a memory from the past. And when I was saying oh, ego, as you
0: say, your yeah. ego's saying, Hang on a second. Yeah, that's not that's not what we usually do. <laughs> I but don't like we've been sold a myth
1: that money keeps you safe. Like both, mm-hmm. you know. Elaine, you're talking, everybody's telling you that's a bad idea because you had a career, yeah? (laughs) And because we've got this myth that money keeps you safe. Mm. My my understanding is that money is a growth energy and a growth energy by its nature is not safe. Anything that makes you grow makes you unsafe. Mm. And so we're living on this myth that money's safe, you know, and I think a lot of people get that twist, or that like, don't break out, don't, don't, don't listen to this part of you that's next. And it's because of that safe. money myth that money keeps you safe, and from inside
2: of us, And it's also like all the external, you know, of uh, not just the money, but even the profession, the success, the acceptable, you mm-hmm. know. And one one of my colleagues once, when I was just getting close to leaving, said like. So you're seriously leaving to go and teach people how to breathe? <laughs> yeah, he's like, you know, I've been mean, working in like advanced physics and surgery for twenty years. Going to teach? You're going to really, you know, and um, and so when Fiona was speaking there about safety and boundaries, when I said that the word safety is often, you know, perceived by some to be safe, not ex- not exciting, boring. The same is also true of boundaries, and the more mm-hmm. we more we realise actually that but I'm speaking with groups about boundaries. I I often say that once a guy walked into my workshop in London and and we said, why why are you here? What do you want to, you know, experience today? And he said, I want to lose all my boundaries. You know, like that was some way of like, you know, creating freedom. Um, And I said to him, like, Mm -hmm. well, you don't think you really want to do that. You know? So often I use this model of like the safe zone, like the comfort zone and, and like, the growth area, like you're saying, and then the boundary here
0: mm-hmm. and,
2: and, you know, moving them up. But actually if we throw ourselves from the safe zone straight over the edge of the boundary, we go into terror and mm-hmm. we have a bad experience and we contract back into the safety zone. So for, for growth and expansion and play, the mm-hmm. boundaries are, are necessary. And there's that beautiful experiment they did with children where they had a school in a big have you heard that one a big set of wow. land and they they build this school it's got these huge fields and everything and the children go out and play and they play like all around the side of the building they don't really go very far at all and then uh, for a few months they put a fence like far out on one of the field and then the children like play wow up to the fence Wow, um, so really, you know boundaries create the expansive of play and and learning and growth yeah and 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 like safety, they're essential to certainly to pleasure and to to be to be able to relax and genuinely be and um pleasure oh, I, love that. I
0: can really visually
1: see that and yeah. feel that yeah I have, I have a friend who's an amazing nanny like she can she's like a super nanny. Yeah. (laughs) And I had another friend who had a problem with a child biting, like the children go through a biting thing. And so we asked like the super nanny, like, what do you do when there's a biting problem? And she was like, you bite the child back, you have to bite the child back. And she was just so straight up about it. And she's like, not hard, but you have to teach that child that boundary. Otherwise, The child will keep pushing and she was like the thing is is if you don't give a child early on boundaries you're going to have a problem teenager because that teenager is going to be trying to find boundaries and it's like the fence, like it's it's like kids intuitively know that they need that fence in order to to have the space to grow into do you see what i mean and she was like so many child development problems come from from the boundaries not being clear from the boundaries not and as I'm saying this I'm like oh I wonder if like this kind of massive amount of trauma and, and stuff that people are processing now is because actually because just not having a healthy understanding being brought up by people who have a healthy understanding of boundaries means that you can have a fairly ordinary childhood, but just not the right, the right boundaries in order to feel safe.
2: Mm. And you're you're setting me off onto another topic, which I feel is related to this. Because exactly. also, I think in, in groups, you know, I find that that boundaries are needed. You know, in in, in in groups, otherwise, people actually don't feel like there is a container. So in order to set a container to have process, whatever that is, there needs to be some, it could be very loose. It can be very, but, but something has to be set around, you know, groups of people. But you, you, you remind me of this this other thing that I often find people dancing with as human, individuals and as um, uh, in society or in relation to others, which is this balance of sovereignty and, and being a sovereign being and, the rebellion, the rebel, which is a distortion actually of sovereignty because in its form of the rebel, which is what that child is doing in some ways is is not true sovereignty it 's like a distortion because where can we balance sovereignty with synergy? Mm-hmm. Where can I be you know in my sovereign self, but understand that I live in this house with other people and I have to work with other people and you know what what 's my capacity? To stay in my own personal power, like and be strong in my solar plexus, and be part of a community or a relationship or something, and and where do my needs and my sovereign right, where is that? You know, always taking um, precedence, and then people become very selfish and inconsiderate of others. Mm-hmm. And where is some people so passive and trying to please everyone all the time, at the, the, the extreme of distortion synergy, where they actually then become resentful and um, you know uh, feel like they're being walked over. So this this journey around personal power, which you know is linked to to the to the life force that we have, um, and if we are not able to. You know, have a connection in the base which creates that amount of safety if we're not able then no life force energy can move through this channel. And and so in, in one of the experiences that I that I do with groups, people often want to be like doing energy work with other people, exchanging energy, playing with energy, doing stuff with your field. Love it, you know. And it's great, but first I always take people to like what's your own inner channel. Like how mm-hmm. able are you to connect with that system, whichever system you go to, the tantric system or the Taoist system or the Chinese medicine system, is your life force actually able to run through? And all of us have, you know, challenges to that from heartache, from stuff that affects our power in the solar plexus, stuff that affects our the right to speak out. So really for, for me, being in connection with your life force as a human being is really having access to how can I source and be connected to the earth, first of all, which is one of the biggest sources of power <laughs> and, 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 and energy. But also, as you see, where am I generating my own energy in my own system and how can I move it through? Hmm. And how connected is my life force? Because particularly working in sexuality, some people have great sexual energy. They're like, you know, like full force here. Their hearts completely shut down. Mm. Or or sometimes the opposite, you mm-hmm. know, or people who are massively spiritual, always having extreme transpersonal experiences, but cannot, don't know if you have that money themselves. to yeah. feed and <laughs> hold themselves. Yeah.
0: Um, mm. yeah. It's about being in balance of that. It's about, yeah, letting it flow in between so you can find whatever that balance means
1: to you. And I feel like as you're describing this flow of life force energy, that solar plexus moment is like when you're winded. It's like, but you're not winded from air necessarily. You're winded from your life force energy being taken out of you. Like, I feel like a lot of our trauma moments come from when that feeling that you described of the solar plexus being the place that is targeted. Yeah. Um. what, why we experience it so traumatically and often with a trauma response, like losing your voice or freezing is because sudden loss of that flow of life force energy because of that particular incident would you agree with that?
2: Yeah I mean I think it can happen to us in the heart you know also equally um, strongly It can happen to us when maybe we speak our truth and someone like shuts us down or shames us, you know. So in any of these places, um, but when we're speaking about personal power, then yes, it's like the, Mm -hmm. it's almost like someone cutting off the supply, someone taking that. And if we don't know how to clear our own internal system, if we don't know how to move energy so that when something does hit us somewhere which of course it will we're living human beings we're we're never going to be over you know being challenged but how can we bring attention to that how can we i work a lot with emotional expression and emotional release how can we move that energy out of the body out of the energy field so that actually flow can come back you know and where if we don't circulate our, our own energy and this this is big time with sexual energy so often people just build it and then you know, discharge it out the other person, or through masturbation, or this this building of or receiving of energy, and then just kind of short circuiting it. Whereas actually, part of the beauty of a lot of tantric and Taoist practices are: hey, where can I take that energy, and where can I actually use that, which for the purpose that it's meant to be used for, also, which is to 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 open that life force and bring energy to my creativity, bring energy to my power, bring energy to my heart, my intuition, you know, my spiritual connection. Um so the if we don't notice that our life force is being you know slowly cut off, you know, very Mm -hmm. um unhealthy relationships over a long time, they start to kind of rather than They may wound, but they tend to actually like almost like turning the gas down on the life force. And we slowly, if we have a job we hate or a relationship which we bad, we slowly start to wither in terms of our vitality, like in terms of our aliveness. And if it happens slowly, we might not even notice Mm -hmm. so much. And so, where, as I was saying the other day, for me, it's like, where do you fill up? How do you fill up? Do you consciously fill up? If you don't know how to do that. And you're just spending, giving energy to others, trying to get back some life force via, you know, trading. Because you don't know how to keep your own life force um, replenished and healthy, um, then life is, is quite difficult.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I am. Um, I kind of want to sort of extend the conversation on from that which is um I know something that we we touched on at the end last time and um we didn't get the chance to talk about but that is you know when you talk about life force we talk about energy we talk about aliveness but there's something very interesting to me about death and its relationship with life force energy and um you know what 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 that means at the is that the end of our life force or is it a different form of expression of that of that life force I'm really curious I know you've worked a lot um in that in in with people with grief um and around death and I'm really interested to understand your perspective of of what happens to your life force in that moment and then and I also um, noticed that when you were talking about
1: that shift in your life you said I was grieving Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So,
0: because that to just a a saying that like that's where my change came from as well. mm -hmm. I've had a real shift in the last three years, which was um, layered on top of a, a, a pretty big chunk of of grief that kind of seemed to continue for about two years um, with losing various different people but also grief in different other forms now I'm Mm experiencing as well it's not just that loss that we 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 talk about specifically about someone passing away but there's other types of grief that I realized had all kind of compounded on top of that but that's in that period is where I've had the most profound spiritual upgrades, if you like, or understanding of myself and my beliefs have come off the back of that. So I, yeah, Yeah, I understand. It's
2: a very common portal for people, you know, it's a very common, um, I think sometime during lockdown, I did a online session for some festival called um, Death is My Teacher, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But what, what, my, my journey with it was actually, I have had people die close to me my entire life like one being my closest friend when I was five years old like um, being being um, hit by a car getting off the school bus and then quite a number of people and I didn't realize that it was unusual to know that many people that had died like by the time you're 20 I probably knew seven or eight people of my own age not like all elderly relatives wow. motorbike accidents suicides and I found it incredible when I first spoke to someone at university and they didn't know anyone that had ever died. You know, and that actually continued for, for quite a few years. But I was 17 years old working in a nursing home. The first time someone actually died while I was there. While I was like washing this mm-hmm. person. And they started making this sound and, they, and, I, and I just suddenly was like, okay, this is, you know... And that moment of, um, of seeing, like, one minute this person's alive and the next minute the life force has gone out of them and I had a sense of feeling like the body stopped, the heart stopped, the functions. And then I had a sense of this energetic, whatever you want to call it, you know, part of this being. It was very slow and... In those years, because I worked in an elderly care home with a lot of people who were dying, there was a sense that sometimes it took some hours, sometimes I think it took longer, like this transition of, of these these parts. So I had a very like early on imprint into the fact that, wow, you know, our time is limited, we do die. And it could have made me very afraid of life but it didn't, fortunately. It made me very keen to live. <laughs> it made me very aware <laughs> that that you know life is precious and it's not forever. And I see that part of the problem for a lot of the collective is actually a denial of of yeah. of the transientness of life and 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 taking for granted um, that actually we're gonna be here forever. And collectively we hide death, you know, particularly in Western mm-hmm. society. Whereas in some places in the world, it's much more open. The grief is much more open. The bodies are much more open. We've kind of sanitized death to be um, as, um, particularly in the, the UK, you know, when people at funerals, often, you know, people get congratulated for not crying, you know. Yeah. Done, you know, you did so well, you know. Um, so there's a lot of shame. So I, I was already on a big journey with this, you um, I'm quite familiar with death, and then in 2010, my young brother committed suicide, and that was the grief that took me into like a very, very deep, 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 deep dark place, um, and a whole load of aliveness and, and a and a re a decision to change my life. So I, what I understood then was uh, there was this moment where I thought. I can stick on some plasters and keep going, or I can allow this grief to just crumble me. I can consciously think I'm just going to fall apart. And and as I did that, everything else in my life that I had never grieved, because there's lots of grief that we don't express, mm-hmm. loss of this, loss of that, loss mm-hmm. of opportunity, loss of happiness, loss of innocence, all of those things came rushing up behind going, Oh, we're doing this now. Are we? Takes <laughs> me, <laughs> licks, me licks. Like, my god, you know, like this never ending thing. So mm. it's it's a huge thing and a little bit like um, one of my favorite books of all time is a book called The Prophet by Kahlil Gibran and he has this whole paragraph on joy and sorrow. Mm. And it says like remember there's only enough space or joy as sorrow has carved out, you know, and mm. while one is eating at your table, the other is asleep in your bed. Mm. So for me, the, the reason that grief or, or extreme anger unlocks life again is we're so busy trying to keep ourselves neutral. Mm. We're trying to, busy trying to keep ourselves um, balanced, reasonable, not too emotional, not too angry, not too sad, and when something happens and it breaks through this barrier of control and we get to feel the extremes of whatever it is we feel, it can reawaken the capacity for the emotionality, which is most mm-hmm. often shut down. And then we can have actually more joy also. seems ironic, but we then have more access you know, to the other areas and we then often feel like, what am I waiting for? So so I often speak with groups about death and and particularly saying you know unless you really understand that one day you're going to die you're never going to live
1: mm. I'm very moved by everything that you say and I really resonate with it especially about you know, being next to death and holding that, like remembering that like life is temporary, is, is how to live. There's some quite interesting channeled views on life force and death that kind of add to what you're saying, I believe. Which, you know, my guides say when a soul dies, they hand their life force over to the living. So you actually get given life force but especially family or souls that are very close, when they die, part of their death process is to hand the life force reserves that they didn't use to souls that they loved. So you actually get an injection of life force energy when you're in a grief process. And it's like you get like extra supply. And so very often a death, especially of a close family member, Will initiate an up level of your path because you get this like flooding of life force energy as the soul is leaving, which is obviously quite an out there view, but I feel like it's worth mentioning it just because we're on May the Life Force mm. Be With You and we're talking about things from a life force point of view. And then also, my guys say that grief is a process of reorientation. So they're like, you know, I've, I've, I've led a colourful life and I've grieved some people that I didn't actually like very much, you know, like I've had some really difficult grieves of like, I had one recently actually where somebody that was deeply, gosh, this person was the beginning of my life as an adult in a very, very traumatic, unhealthy way. And the beginning of a lot of unhealthy patterns and all sorts of things. And, you know, was a nemesis to me. And she died this year. She died recently. And I hadn't seen her for 20 years. And I suddenly found myself in this grieving process of, like, why am I grieving this person that, like, hasn't been in my life? And, like, you know, and it was an interesting grief because there was relief and there was anger and there was all sorts of things and it, it it's and I, I came back to this thing of like because she was part of your orientation, and with her going, it's like that that orientation, that story, that time and place and space version of you has now had the rug pulled out from under you. And so you're you're in this process of grief which is also a flow of celebration like you say it's connected to joy and it's like the rug is out from under you and so change what I had with her was I was like you know the timing of this is amazing because I'm actually working on these unhealthy patterns that were formed back when I was 16 thank you higher self of this person because it's it's allowing me to then have the reorientation of while she was alive, that orientation was always there, you know. And then she was gone, and it was like, "Whoa, where am I? Who am I? I can reorientate out of this, this, this core belief and this story." Does that make sense? Mm. But the life force injection to me is really interesting. It's like, do you remember doing a call with me? I do. We did it. We did it. We did it
2: live
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, so between 2010 and 2019, all of my immediate family members passed, all the very d- d- dramatic, difficult, self-destructive kind of things apart from my mother, who has Alzheimer's, so she's here and she's not here. Mm-hmm. And as part of that journey, I was in uh, Bali. Mm-hmm. And... I had a kidney stone that got lodged in my kidney, and I've never had a kidney stone, no risks for kidney stone. And when I got that, I got a call to say that my then stepfather, who had dementia and who was in the same home as my mother, was becoming unwell and was probably going to be dying in the next few weeks. And I got out of hospital. The storm was still there. They were, they were telling me to try and like jump up and down to get it to come out on its own. You know, they wanted to do that for three weeks. Couldn't fly. And I did a session um, online with you. Yeah, and um, yeah. we connected with his soul. We connected with stuff around the lineage of, you know, because two years before that, his daughter, and my stepsister, died. And his son was heading the same way at that time mm-hmm. and I remember doing the session with you and there was this thing where he was almost offering me this part of his life force <laughs> um but it came with a with a stipend that he wanted me to process the pain from like his lineage you know from his family's lineage and I remember we were online for I don't know two or three hours or something yeah like it was a um, profound session. And, When I came off that call, 15 minutes later, I got a message to say he passed. They thought he was going to live maybe a couple of weeks. Um, And, you know, I'm mindful of who I share that with because some people might think these kind of stories mean that we're like seriously unstable and a bit crazy in some ways because it's very, very, yeah, intense and in some ways unbelievable to the, the kind of logical, academic minds that we have. But that was for me like the clearest personal mm-hmm. experience that you know that I had of that. Um and it was interesting to be in the situation of like, do I want this life force? Yeah. <laughs> if it comes with that Dishing. with that, You know? Yeah. Um and, and is it one thing just to process and feel those things that you haven't felt or that were not felt? Maybe I maybe I'm a yes to that. If it means in any way me taking any of that on or holding into or taking that into my life, I mean, then then I'm a no to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was that was like the, one of the most incredible. And It took me a few weeks. I had to go in and have surgery eventually to get this 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 stone moved. But he is the only person in my family that has ever had a kidney stone, and I'm not biologically related to him, and yet I had a kidney stone.
1: as so. I mean, the magic of death. You know, like.
0: I trust and believe all of that. <laughs> I really do. I do.
1: And it because feels I'm like it's so important to on to have in the conversation that maybe life force, maybe I'm not gonna say scientifically, but certainly energetically, I have had an experience. You've had an experience, I'd love to hear your experience, Fiona, that maybe life force can be inherited. In which case, there needs to be some kind of hygiene ceremony way otherwise what are you inheriting (laughs) you know like like you so wisely say Elaine do you actually want this life force that is being generously given and or do you want to filter it do you want to work with like do you want to go on some sort of ceremonial grief process because if life force isn't inherited it's really a problem that we're not talking about that in society
2: And, and there's, there's also this piece, which I became aware of in all of their deaths actually was, that was particularly strong with my, my brother and my stepsister, because I was particularly close to them, was like feeling a sense of as, because they had quite, you know, untimely and, and, and difficult deaths, the the time or their transition out from, like m- my understanding of their soul and their body and their their essence and the transition was, was very difficult and painful and scary for them. So there was a number of days where I felt like I was mainly meditating, sitting with them, feeling, and again, my more scientific friends would probably call me crazy, but in some holding and helping of them and um, witnessing of them to allow them to cross over Particularly, I remember my stepsister. I had this sense that there was so much fear in her and so much lack of trust, because in life a lot of her trust had been broken. So this thing of like trusting to just let go into going on to wherever her essence was, was traveling on to, um, created like almost like a almost like a freeze of this part. So physically, she had died but like for those two or three days when I was in connection with the energetic of her and her being it was like, she'd almost gone into like this, like a traumatic freeze um, because of lack of trust to let go and feel safe to,
1: you know, to lack of safety, hmm. we've come full circle. Fiona, I'd love to hear about yours. Mm-hmm. Like we've both just shared about mm-hmm. death and path. And I know that like you've been through massive grief do you resonate?
0: Well, yeah. I've gone from the solar plexus to the throat chakra to very much my heart now. Like my heart <laughs> is just aching. Like listening, listening to, to to all of that. I I I don't really know what I would I would add specifically, other than um, maybe a couple of things. And and that is when I found out that my my dad. when we found out my dad was terminally ill, it was just before lockdown, and we had a choice goes into a hospice or and we never see him again or we'll bring him home and we'll we'll look after him together. And so that's what my sister and my mum and I decided we'd do. But we never told my dad he was ill. We let him believe he was coming home because he was getting better. We forbid any carers, the doctors, for telling him because he had a real fear of death. And there was just certain things he just never talked about and, and he just never wanted to accept it. He never wanted to talk about it. So we thought it'll just put him into a spiral of fear and he'll be anxious and that will make him unwell. So we'll just not tell him and we'll just create this lovely environment. Thank you very much, COVID, where we can all be together in the same house for the first time in 27 years. And he would just look at us at three o'clock in the morning when we were up you know, as he's wandering around the house and he'd say, what are you doing here? And we just blame it on Nicola Sturgeon, not letting us leave the country. So <laughs> it was this beautiful place of safety that, you know, he had all these girls around him then he was given three weeks and he actually was with us for seven months. And it was an amazing experience of having that. There's no other time in our lives that an environment like that could have been created where we all just had to be there together and so it allowed me to have this time with my dad knowing obviously what the end outcome was like but it was like a role reversal it's like we're looking after the child and we're the you know the parent again um but what's really interesting is I got to experience that whole death process you know um and and it is a process in the same way we come out we you know if we're lucky enough to go peacefully and not suddenly and you see how your body changes and your mind changes and he would talk a lot about his childhood he talked a lot about his father his mother and experiences about going playing football and all this kind of stuff like he was a child again um and there's a couple of things i'll just touch on but there's um, that I'll come back to on that, and my belief about what happened when he passed. But um, he was talking about his dad one day and his dad passed when he was 19, so I'd never met him. And it was three o'clock in the morning because he loved to get up throughout the night. <laughs> I'm sitting there going, please just go back to bed. And he was talking about his dad. And then all of a sudden he my dad just looked down at where he was sitting. And it had the shock on his face. And he he picked up this piece of paper, which I'd never seen in my entire life before. And it was a luggage tag that had his dad's name and the old address where he lived as a boy. And and he looked at me completely shocked. And he's like, where did this come from? And I had goosebumps everywhere going, I have no idea where that came from. But that is my grandfather's name. And that's the house he used to live in Bailiston. And I have no idea how those two things came together. But we both just looked at each other and went, oh my gosh, and had this like moment together. Nor my dad, he was probably playing with me. And even in his crazy time, he probably planted it there two days later to play that <laughs> joke on me. But I I was like, wow, show me a sign or sign. But what I realized as I watched my dad talk more and more about his childhood and calling his mom and dad is that when he passed, I believe that wherever he went, wherever his soul went, To whoever he was calling on, he appears to them in that form. So he's my dad to me. He's my mum's young husband. He's the eight-year-old boy to his parents. You are and you appear to those that you love in however the memory is that they hold of you. And so he's not passing on in the same way that I think he is as the physical body now he's the embodiment of whatever that joyful time and that connection time with was all the with all the people that were important to him and that's that's what I got a sense of as as I was there and other than just to be absolutely profoundly grateful which sounds a really crazy thing to say to have the privilege to be with someone as they pass it, it's like it changes your life forever and gives you a completely different perspective. Or it did for me a completely different perspective on absolutely everything to have that as a privilege to be with someone. And um, because I know from two of my cousins that passed the same year as my dad, we didn't have that. They went really suddenly and unexpectedly and there was no one with them. And I think there is a different type of relationship you have with that person after they go because of the nature of that death and if you were there with them and I know then you said that there was a big difference of that first time you were with someone and how and how that felt so that's just my sorry it was just rambling I didn't really know you know I, I could talk for days on on the other things because what? one other quick little thing it wasn't a kidney stone but a week after my dad well a week after I'd moved back down to England after he passed I kind of got playful and I was like, come on then, dad, show me a sign. Come on then. I'm, I'm into all this stuff now. And I was walking down a street in Hove. I never walked down. And I looked in this window about 10 seconds after I'd said that. And there were these two yellow love hearts in the window. One said dad and the other said Alex, which is my dad's name. And I was like, okay, <laughs> okay. thanks for the sign, dad. And I was just, so I look for, I look for the magic now in the day and I'm curious for the magic and I think that's one of the things that it, it, it it's taught me to be a little bit more playful a little bit light-hearted um, and not yeah not look for the fear and the grief which I
1: used to I love that you said that um, of everything you said but like literally I was bringing through some guidance yesterday somebody asked about mediumship on Uh, my course in channeling and what was coming through is that mediumship is when you connect to the realm where the personality of the self goes. (laughs) And so you connect to the, the spirit in personality form rather than in a different form. And what the guides were saying was that death process takes for every single person that knew you to be dead because only then are you, are you able to transcend that level?
0: So, do you mean like when I saw my dad as all the different versions? Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Of- so, like, like what they were saying is like the personality self stays in that realm, processing, calmering, sorting out, <laughs> realigning until there is nobody left that remembers who you were when you were alive. There is no actual physical memory left. That's the time. So, if you think
0: you're completely. Yeah.
1: And so it's kind of like what you just said. It's like the memories keep that person, that personality there right. in that realm. Right. Um, until, and then the soul has another transition when the last person dies, which, you know, if you think about it, mm. if, if you die at 96 and there's a child that remembers you that's three... It's a long time, <laughs> it's a long time that, that that particular karmic, akashic, realignment, energetic process goes on for. Very interesting.
0: Isn't it? Isn't it?
1: And when you were saying, if you want, about, you know, you look for the
2: play and the fun, one, one thing I think that's, that I always try and remember, and I always try and say to people, for those who are not aware or who have forgotten, is like at any one moment everything is available to us. Mm-hmm. And and it's often where we choose to focus our attention. So particularly also again, this is a tool for working with pleasure where people some people are a bit addicted to the pain body or to sadness or grief is really easy. For other people, eroticism is really easy because they want to avoid. But if we understand that actually everything is there and like where are we focusing our attention? Where are we pointing and keeping our attention? Where are we getting stuck, you know, in one end of one experience? And it's definitely true that for me and people I've worked with that, you know, sudden death and long illness are two very different kind of experiences to have with regards to the grief. And one is not easier than the other. They both have like their, their different challenges, as you say, not having time to complete with people, not having time to say goodbye. Um, and on the other side, not having to watch someone you love, you know, sometimes suffer and sometimes be in pain. So there's, there's these different types of grief. And also what you were saying, and Clara, around the, your orientation, because this is one of the biggest things I realized when when everyone around me started to disappear from my <laughs> family. I was like, there's no one who knows me and was with me all through my childhood, like who knows the whole kind of string. And so as difficult as some of these deaths were, I also could see where I had less responsibility. I had less of the imprints of being the person that I was meant to be in the family constellation. Like Mm -hmm. where, where does actually, you know, I would still rather they were all alive, but given that they're not, where do I look at where the actual freedom in me um, from actually no longer, or maybe not even just a freedom as a um, an opportunity to find more and more authenticity and less and less who I am in the eyes of others and who i become in relation to others. So I think that, yeah, death of people close to us can sometimes really give us this thing of feeling like who the hell are we? And there definitely was sometimes I was having a lot of awakening, a lot of downloads, a lot of stuff going on. And some days I was like waking up like, I don't know who I am today. I don't know who I am today. And without these markers very close to you, constantly reminding you and resetting and maybe retuning you back into your position in the constellation, it was like, whoa, you know, this can be exciting and and terrifying. Actually both at the same time, Um, an opportunity to really change and, and grow mm. and transform in yourself, and the potential to completely lose it because mm. you have like no reference point anymore. For because um, so often our perception of who we are is, is who we are in relation to others rather than actually who we are, you know, in, in ourselves. Um, and the thing you said about the ages really reminded me. I had this with both my brother and with my stepsister. I had a lot of dreams about them in the times after they died, and sometimes initially they were very, very um, regular, and then they would become less regular. And I have crazy dreams all the time, and I don't follow them, and I don't record them. And friends of mine who work with lucid dreaming tell me, "Yeah, you should be writing them down." Mm-hmm. And my usual response is, "There's enough going on in my waking world." To do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to start delving in. I trust that if I'm meant to learn things and know things, I will learn. But two of the dreams I had, both of them, was was on occasion not both together, but separately, where I was in a room and I looked and I saw, I saw them at like five years old, ten years old, fifteen years old, twenty years old. It was like there was these bodies, and these mm-hmm. bodies turned around, and there was the faces of my brother. The first time I had the dream at like all these different ages and all these different stages. Um, And a few years later, the same happened um, in a dream with my sister. And it was almost like a, yeah, I remember all of who you are, like, and how that was connected to where they were in whatever transition they were in. I don't know. But um, also as part of the grief process, often the the dream world becomes, you know, um, very significant.
0: I had a very, very detailed dream about my cousin who passed just last night. And, and it was, yeah, I'm going to write it down because it stayed with me all day. You know how sometimes you can't, but it, there's something, there was definitely something in that. What Ooh, my goodness. I have to say,
1: like, we, we, I don't want this conversation to, no. and there is so much life and death and magic and wisdom in it um it has to end hopefully you will be back on May the Life Force there's so many places I want to go with you (laughs) but hopefully you will be back again
0: what a beautiful conversation though and thank you for for opening us up to talk about death I agree with you I think it's so important and I I you know believe that we should talk about it and the grief process more so thank you for allowing us that opportunity to talk about it um because, yeah, it's important. It's important.
1: Yeah. Also, I'd like to say that whoever inherits your life force is going to be very, very lucky. Like, you are leaving them some clean-ass, powerful, circulating, healthy life force energy. <laughs> um, and so, and I I, I feel like, yeah, it, this conversation has slightly inspired this thing in me. I'm like, oh, I actually you know, matters to caretake of it for your next generations as well. And um, I, I feel like the work you do helps so many people leave better life for energy for the next generations. And The last thing I want to say, because I was going to say, <laughs> and then we'll complete. Another
2: thing I think is super important is to, add to the, um for those who recognize and who want to, obviously, um is to practice uh, conscious shamanic death, to mm-hmm. practice conscious ritual death processes, mm-hmm. um, to go into those to go because because actually I've had so much of my growth, death, learning, unlearning, evolution has 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 been due to processes of those types of deaths because in those types of deaths we can have the chance while we're still alive to let those things die. And so some people may use plant medicines to do that. Some people may use breath work. Some people may use rebirthing. But really, if you can get into a practice, there's one statement someone made wasn't it? somewhere about dying every day, you know. But with that kind of idea, if, if this mm. was my last day or if I... And, and you, can, you can change a lot with conscious ritual um, death processes. And if people are interested in death, there's an amazing um, network um, called the Death Cafe, Mm. Which, yes. you know yeah. yeah which i often i have a few friends of mine that are um holders of those cafes and also now i've met a few death doulas
0: yeah there's
2: mm. another area you know of, of my mm-hmm. own death have a friend
0: can... who's a death doula she's very special she helps yeah. me a lot in my grieving process mm.
2: yeah so mm-hmm. it is it is becoming more to our consciousness and and as we say that i feel like there's a there's many reasons for why we have that relationship and just sitting with, you know, all the death that's happening unconsciously. And it's almost like, because so much unnecessary, it's very sad death is happening all over our television screens, all over the world around us. It's like shutting us down to actually coming back to like mm-hmm. our own mortality. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like where the, for me, the, 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 co- the collective shadow It's the same with all the kind of sex offences and the paedophile things, Mm -hmm. whereby if we're not as individuals processing and owning the parts that we need to process in our own shadows, then the collective starts to express in extreme violence or extreme forms of unhealthy patterns. And that's another kind of shamanic perspective of looking
1: at. I would would love to talk if you were brave enough to talk shadow and the the deep collective shadow on may the life force with you at some point because like i i agree and it's it's the conversation that that the collective to bring it right back to the beginning especially when it comes to kind of the big things like death and and pedophilia and stuff like that the collective does that voiceless uh, solar plexus freeze response that we were speaking about at the beginning of what this incredible mountain of a conversation is, and so um, I, I'm going to ask you to come back not in the same week, but, <laughs> but like, just keep talking to like. Thank
0: you. So wow. Well. Yes, thank You're you. Thank You're you amazing. We're so, well. and we so grateful. And and, um, grateful for- My life force is definitely topped up. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so
2: glad we were able to actually hear you and thank you for sharing everything you shared. Yeah, thank My you advice. both. I'm so glad that I happened to yeah have time this week to talk to you twice. and I look forward to Yeah, I look forward to having them and sharing them because I'm sure there's a lot of people who, yeah, could do with plugging into your... Podcast.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much. May the life force be with <laughs> you and the people that are gonna inherit it from you. <laughs> the con I mean, you know that conversation it had so much energy, it, so much energy. The internet was going, everything was going. It was like this storm <laughs> of a conversation that was coming into the space even before it was there.
0: I'm so and glad you got the chance to do part two.
1: I'm so glad you got a chance to speak. <laughs> and thank you, because you were so vulnerable, you know, like... Throughout that whole conversation, I was like, "Wow, Fiona is in the power of her vulnerability from the beginning." Because, like, we were challenging you, we we're talking about your plexus, your voice being taken. Then you're talking about like grief and your you the last days with your dad. I mean, it, it was just,
0: yeah. And, I know, and I, I, as, as I said, you know, and said to Helene, just deep appreciation to be able to have the time the space then the platform to be able to talk about death it's so important it really is and and you know she has such a interesting perspective and oh my gosh to have had so much loss so early so much incredible and how that's shaped her life you know
1: so much and then you know to be able to You know, she also shared so vulnerably about, you know, she even said, I don't normally speak about this because of... And I was like, well, now you do. (laughs) Like, to be sharing that amazing, amazing uh, process that she went through with um, the death of her stepfather and Mm. the kids, like, it was just like... You know, such such a, a profound, profound conversation that really went to the edge of life and went into the afterworld, and then came back to power, and then came to sexual energy, and came to, you know, how it how there was so much early on in that conversation as well because it was long but like everything she was saying about um you know how the solar plexus
0: gets activated into i'm feeling it in my throat chakra again <gasps> I'm, I'm feeling that conversation all the places <laughs> that I was feeling it before we get act- we get we get re-triggered we get activated do you know what i loved as well and gosh it's a whole other conversation but it's the conscious shamanic death yeah that she mentioned so you know that's not a phrase I'm familiar with but the principle of it I completely understand which is throughout your life and circumstances and we all change gosh if we stayed the same from the day we were born we'd be pretty bloody weird so of course we change and we evolve but that letting go and releasing and grieving certain parts of your life and that you know that sense of loss but but having ceremony Mm. and acceptance to that is so important so that when you move forward you're not dragging all of this other stuff with you all the time it's it's something I'd like to explore maybe I I know people that can help you do that (laughs) we can we can sort you out (laughs) Um, yes let's let's have another conversation about that oh
1: no I'd love to I also love the the When she was talking about boundaries and how your safety needs edge, but then needs a boundary and then needs the fence and like how your play and, you know, your grief is carving out space for your joy. It was just like, you know, deliciously expansive and yet so, as Elaine is, so practical, so making these kind of big concepts something that actually
0: she's lived it that's what yes. awesome, right? she's experienced she she uh, you know comes from that scientific science space into the mystic world and the magic and and so it's very relatable and it's very authentic because it comes from her experience and journey loved it oh my goodness me well another beautiful conversation that we never know where it's going to go. So um, I hope everybody has enjoyed it and um, we'll catch you soon. May the life force be with you.
1: We hope this conversation has topped up your life force energy. If it has, then please help us spread the life force. Like, share, subscribe, all of that. (laughs) And may the life force... Be with all of us.